Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Morning about the propensity that we have at times to think we need to be perfect. You know, even Jesus said one time, he said, be perfect as I am perfect. And if you look in the Greek of what he's saying there, the word is for perfection is teleos. It, it's where we get the word maturity. It, it doesn't mean flawlessness. And I think sometimes we get into this pursuit. We all have a heart for wanting to be holy. And we think that that heart needs to be flawless. And we're going to talk a little bit today about how we can start off in the spirit, but end up in the flesh and trying to never struggle, never fall. How many of you know the Bible says that a righteous man, though he fall seven times? Now, the reason why it says seven, that's in the Old Testament Hebrew, is because that's complete falling. Seven is the number of, so it didn't say six times, three times, you know, not three times on the ceiling, you know, once, twice, three times a lady. It said seven times. The reason why it said seven times is because God wanted you to see that even though there's a part of you, your spirit is born again, there's another part of you that will have failures and will struggle and will fall. How did you learn to walk? You fell down a lot. You fell down a lot. And the verse we're going to talk about specifically here this morning, and this ought to help you, because we all have a tendency to want to lean towards self-effort and legalism because we're falling and we're having a struggle. So there must be more. And so the idea in the verse that we're talking about here today is that that's not the direction to go. The direction is to lean more into the love and the Spirit of God and not lean more into your, your own self-effort and your own ability. And that's a trap. Come on now, that's a trap to get into all that. Let's, let's take a look here at the verse. But hey, before we do, a little housekeeping. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 is the verse. And as you're turning there, the ladies are having a Christmas party. How about that? And it's Tuesday, and over 40 are coming. And if mama's happy, everybody else is happy. So here's what would make Pastor Glenn happy. If some dudes, not dudettes, if some dudes were to stay after service today, Go right down that hallway, see my lovely wife, Miss Sarah, and ask her what you can do to help get that fellowship hall ready for Tuesday. Isn't that cool? Isn't that special? It'd be so kosher if you did that because that means from here to Tuesday, my wife's going to be happy with me. It's a beautiful thing, church. Anything to help me. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Here we go. But I say, so, so Paul is saying, you know, <laughs> when you see a but in Scripture, it means, yeah, there is that, but let's take a look at this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. I want you to see that there's warfare in a person's life spiritually because number two, you have this number one you have the spirit of god number two you have god's righteousness that invites warfare into your life here's what i want to want you to get when you got saved and you got the spirit of god that didn't <laughs> that led you from slavery into being a soldier Amen. there's a different mentality that comes upon your life and if there's a struggle in your life towards sin that is proof you have god's spirit Amen. i wonder if you're getting this if you're struggling and you are warring against sin in your life, it is proof you got God's righteousness. And I want to show you the proof is God's spirit comes inside of you and starts to war against that old nature. And that's what you're experiencing. And many times the devil will want to condemn you and say, you're feeling this way because you're not saved or you're not in a relationship with God. No, 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 no. This is proof you are saved. Can I just tell you this? Immediately after your sin, run to God. Get this. Don't go off and say, well, I blew it again, and you know, God isn't interested in having a relationship with me anymore. i got to get my act together, and then I'll come back to God. 
That's a T-R-A-P trap. When you fall in sin, and you will, in the book of 1 John, it tells us, if we confess our sins, He is faithful, not you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean? That was written to Christians. What that means is, is when you sin, not if, when you sin, run to Jesus right away. In fact, the immediacy of your running to Jesus gets you to a place to where you sin less, not more. I really want you to get this. We're going to spend a few weeks on it. You're going to say, you know, aren't we going to preach about Christmas? Let me tell you something. The greatest Christmas present you could ever give God is you walking by the Spirit and walking in relationship with His Holy Spirit. That's the greatest Christmas present you could ever give. How's that, Santa? Change those letters around, you get Satan. Okay, here we go. Ooh, no amens on that. All right. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Oh boy, there's so much to unpack here. I'm going to cut this message, in fact, today in half because there's a lot. But I hope that you would be willing in your spirit to go to a place with me where we recognize that the true gospel focuses on the work of Jesus Christ. The true gospel does not focus on you. It does not focus on your ability, your works. That is legalism. That is religion. The true gospel focuses on what Jesus has already done and your relationship and your walk with him. That's the true gospel. Pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us, help us, help us, Lord. Help us to see the struggle isn't with our job. Help us to see that the struggle is real, but it's not, it's not with paying bills. Help us to see today that, God, the, the real fight and struggle is not what people are saying on social media or that someone in our family is mad at us or that there's a relationship that somebody has with us that's gone sour or that, God, there's some things we need to do about our health or that, God, the struggle may be where we're going to live or what we're going to eat or what we're going to do. Father, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to teach us that, God, even the lilies of the field are clothed and the birds of the air are fed. That's not the struggle. Father, help us to see the struggle is really inward. I'm struggling with me, Lord. I'm wrestling with me. I'm wrestling, God, with the fact that I'm born again and I have your Holy Spirit in me and, God, I still deal with failures. And, God, I need to know what to do with that because there are times that, God, I focus on me and I take my focus off of you and it makes things worse. God, help me, help us in the name of Jesus to see the good news, God, of the gospel. In Jesus' name, everybody said, "Come on, Amen." Amen. If uh, if you've ever been, if you've ever been on an excursion, you go on a trip. Maybe you go to a foreign country and you go on an excursion. Uh, you're going to get a guide, and uh, really to have a great time and to really experience the fun of that excursion, you want to stay as close to the guide as possible. The idea is to be with the guide. All you have to do to get back home to America is to stay with the guide, <laughs> okay? All you have to do is just be with the guide. Now, there are rules. When you go to another country, when you go on an excursion, when you go visit something, maybe it's an archeological find. You know, for me, it was cenotes, pyramids, different places I've been. But, you know, the idea is there's lots of rules and they give you that beforehand. And if you're not careful, you will prepare so much for the trip and reading the rules and then maybe perhaps talking about them with your spouse to the point of being actually stressed out, that once the trip actually comes, you're in the wrong spirit and you've forgotten just to stay with the guide. I wonder if somebody's picking up what I'm putting down. And what you do is, is you get all wrapped up in all of the details and the planning of the trip and the the packing of the trip that you actually start to get into a position to where you're fighting with yourself, you're fighting with your spouse, 
And by the time it comes to go on the actual trip that you planned for and you paid for, and by the way, this particular trip spiritually has been paid for by him, that when you get to the actual trip and you get to walk with the guide, you don't even want to be there. Because you put yourself so entangled with everything that it took to follow the rules and be prepared for the trip that you miss the fact that the trip was really about just being with someone that will take you places you've never been before. And so you forget to have any love, joy, and peace on the trip that you prepared for. Now that's all of you. Some of you on the way to the trip to the church this morning. I know what you do. Some of you have kids and you are driving and you're trying to beat those kids with the other arm while you're driving at the same time all the way to the church. Then you get to the church house doors and you walk through the door and then you put on this big old smile. How you doing? Glory be to God. I'm so happy to be here today. God is in the house. You know what you did to those kids all the way over here and you know what your kids did to you. You get so wrapped up in the journey of trying to get to where you want to be that when you actually get to a place to where you can be with the guide that can tell you all about it, you don't listen to him. That's legalism. That's religion. It gets you so wrapped up in what it takes to get to heaven, to get to this place, this excursion that's paid for at the cross, that you get yourself in a spirit, in a, in a frame of mind, in a, 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 in a place to where you're so wrapped up in the struggle and the failure and what you didn't prepare for, what you didn't pack. I, I'll be honest with you. I cried one time. Sarah and I went on a trip. I cried at an airport. Can I tell you why? I'll tell you why. Because I had a $30 bottle of mint shampoo that was supposed to grow parts of your hair back on your head. And I forgot to take that honking thing out of the bag. And they threw it away right in front of me, church. They just threw it away. And I, two tears come down from these eyes. I guess I'll go bald for the rest of my life because you threw away my shampoo. Now, that was a long time ago. I've since given up. I give up. Right? I give up now. But I want to tell you, there are times I'd go through an airport. I'd be so stressed out about getting to the destination that I don't even want to be at the destination anymore. And there, there, is a, there is a draw that comes from the devil that says, get yourself wrapped up in trying to be perfect, trying to be this, trying to be that, and by the time you try to do all those things, which you fail at, you don't even want to be with the people of God, and you don't even want to be where God is. Now that's, that is horrible, but it's true. And I want to break down to you why that Paul has to write this letter in the first place. He has to write this letter in the first place because churches spread throughout Galatia. Now, I know somebody that's going to Turkey soon. You don't know them, but I do. And you might ask yourself, why would I ever want to go to Turkey? Until you open up the New Testament and recognize that probably three-fourths of the New Testament was written to Turkey. Come on. You know, in the book of, you know in the book of Revelation, those first three chapters, all those churches are in Turkey. Come on. Right? And did you know that Galatia are a series of churches? By the way, the title of the book is Galatians, plural. This isn't written to just one church. There is a series of churches in Galatia. If you were John, writing from the island of Patmos, you would write to Ephesus first, and then you'd go all the way around Laodicea, Smyrna. You'd go all the way around in a circle of churches that are in Turkey. It was Anatolia back then, okay? But today it's called Turkey. I find it ironic, though, that there isn't, it's a godless nation today, but not for long. So you'd see a, a series of these churches that would make a circle in Turkey. Now, if you were Paul and you come up on your first missionary journey, you come up through Syria, then you come into Turkey, and then you would plant all these churches in what's called Gaul or Galatia. The Galatian churches were a series of churches that Paul planted on his first missionary journey with Timothy. And these churches were doing great until, wait, there's more, some people showed up by the name of Judaizers. They were from Jerusalem. They were Jews who were followers of Christ. 
they would say, you are following the Messiah, Gentiles, but we are Jews, you are not. You need to follow the Torah. You need to follow the rest of the law. If you want to truly be a Jesus follower, you call yourself Christians, that's the same as Messiah. Christos, Meshach, anointed, same thing. You call yourselves Christians, but to be real Christians, well, let's start with this. All the men need to be circumcised. So they went throughout all the churches, and this is odd, it's weird, it's, I know there's a few kids in this room, I'm sorry, but they actually checked. And if you weren't, they did that. Now, I'm 52 years old, I'll be 53, ain't nobody checking me. Ain't nobody doing that to me. Hello? Okay, just me. Some of you are like, he's, uh, what, what? What are we talking about? This is crazy. And then they said, you're going to have to follow all these dietary laws. That ain't me either. Okay? Can't eat. As a matter of fact, I just bought me a whole box of crab legs. I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to eat them all. Just me. Yeah, you couldn't eat shellfish, couldn't eat that, couldn't eat this. And they had to follow all of the ritual laws. The ones they could follow. Temple was gone by this time, but the ones they could follow, this, this was something they had to do. They had to keep all of these holy days, right? And then they said, if you do this, then God will accept you. Well, guess what the churches did in Galatia? They wanted to be pleasing to God. They started doing all that. So Paul writes them a letter. Now, when you write letters, you write them differently than Paul did, okay? When you write a letter, you start out with, dear so-and-so, right? And then you write the body of a letter. You talk about what, you know, you're going to talk about. Then at the bottom of the letter, then you put sincerely yours, right? That's what they, that's what they call a, an accommodating phrase, sincerely yours, all right? And then you sign your name. That's not how they wrote letters in that day. And this is, this is important that you learn this because you're going to kind of get the picture of why Paul wrote and the way he wrote. In Paul's day, when they wrote letters, they started out with their name. Then they started out with some accommodations, like, oh, great Galatians, oh, brothers and sisters who I love, right? Then it was the body of the letter, and then nothing. Are you with me? The way Paul writes this letter is, he starts out by saying, I'm an apostle, I started you, this is what we start with, and the whole entire body of the letter is all about going back to the gospel that they had heard from the first. No accommodations. No compliments. No sincerely yours. Just knock it off. Let me tell you the reason why. Because it's just that serious. Have you ever met somebody that just got to the point? And some of you are like, now, Pastor, I wish you'd get to the point. I am. But have you, met, have you ever met somebody who was just matter of fact? As soon as you've seen them, it was without, you know, introductions or anything. to just say, hey, by the way, glad to see you. Here's what's up. And you're like, whoa, come on, could you sweeten that tea a little bit? Paul dives right in. Here's why it's so important. If you go without food, here's a metaphor. You go without food for 30 days, you're dead. If you go without water for three days, you're dead. If you go without air for three minutes, you're dead. They're not going without food. They got it. They've had it preached to them. Paul was there. They've got the letters. They're not going without food. They're not going without water. They've been baptized in the Spirit. They've been baptized in water. They're going without air. They don't know this, the severity of the situation. And perhaps you don't know either that going without living by the Spirit of God is like going without breathing. If you want to know what leads you away from God permanently, is it's literally to stop breathing in your spirit, man, the presence of God's Spirit and walking with Him. Come on, if I made a point clear today, give God some praise then. The heaviness of this is learning to breathe in and breathe out and walk with the Spirit of God. Not focusing on you, but focusing on the guide and the Spirit of the living God. 
<laughs> so that's the occasion that's the background let me ask you a big question if people knew that and they know that so why then do people go back to legalism why do they go back to religion here's why i think they do because i've seen it in my own life several times i'll pick on me i get a little confused as to why a part of me is born again but another part of me is not there's a part of me that is still there and that part of me that's still there doesn't always do what it's supposed to do paul even says this paul says later he says the things that i should do i don't do and the things that i don't want to do i do hello and i get involved in that struggle and i begin to think now wait a minute there must be more there must be more than just walking with jesus there must be more than just being conscious of god's presence in my life there must be more than just focusing on the finished finished work of the cross i should add something to it and then you get all kinds of really bad theologies like i should forgive myself that's not in the bible we get a lot of things from counseling that isn't in the bible the bible never says to forgive yourself you can't someone perfect had to go to the cross to deal with them you ain't perfect you, what you need to do is trust in his finished work in that you are forgiven and the bill was overpaid quite frankly right so we get into all of these things well maybe there's something i should do maybe i should maybe i should practice something else and maybe i should do something else because i just can't get past the fact that there, there's a part of me my spirit man that thinks one one way and then there's another part of me my flesh my carnal nature my old man that wants to do something else now can i just help you with something when you got saved that part of you didn't that part of you didn't for your notes please write these down and i'll put them in the form of uh, questions let me ask you this are you made in the image of god Yes. Good. A resound. A resounding yes. Three people. Great. <laughs> God is three persons in one. Three in one. So are you. So you're a tripartite being, just like God is. God's got three parts. Stay with me. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. You're made in that image, so you have a spirit, you have a body, and you have a soul, which is your mind. There's three parts in salvation that God is working through your life. I hope you're taking note of this. If not, come ask me later. We'll walk back, back through it again. I want you to get this. There's a part of you that is justified. Justification. That's your spirit. Your spirit man is born again and justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? amen. There's another part of you that's being sanctified. And that's not a one-time event. That is something that's progressive. It's, it, it's, it's, it's occurring over time. That is happening, and I'm going to teach more on this next week. That is happening in your soul, in your mind. That's where the battlefield is right now. It's not over your spirit. Your spirit's already saved. That's a done deal. But your mind struggles with everything. Your mind wants to take you this way, that way. Your heart has parts of it that it need to be in your mind needs to be daily renewed renewed that's where sanctification is occurring in your life and you also have a flesh when will that be renewed so so something is already done something is being done something we're waiting to be done now here's the thing about your flesh that's interesting you hear in church all the time justification i sound a little cajun here sanctification but you don't hear much about glorification this is the third part that isn't taught in church and this is why we struggle glorification is a result of your flesh being transformed this would be at the resurrection or in the air come on church and that part of you will change and you'll remain with christ forevermore so, so, so watch this. You got a spirit that's already, it's done. The work's done. You got a mind that's 
it's getting done, right? And if you just cooked your Thanksgiving dinner, you'll know how this works. There's something in the oven, there's something on the cooktop, and there's something over here in the microwave. Come on, church. And another something else in the crock pot. All right. There's a part that's done, but the other parts, God's working on. And in the meantime, you and I are looking at those other parts and we're saying, I just can't wait. I just can't wait till God takes me out of here because I'm pretty much sick of me. Just me? I'm really sick of me. I'm sick of the stuff I do. All right? So like the churches in Galatia, I'd like to help God with that. So we, can we get this going a little bit now? Get, 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 let's do it now. And then I start thinking, well, maybe there's, a, maybe there's a rule I could pick up. Maybe there's some type of thing I can do. And, and I'm going to strive to do those things, and somehow I'll get this all fixed and worked out. How many of you know that's a trap? How many of you know His Spirit does that work now? And then in the air... God the Father sends His Son and transforms us in the air. All three parts of you are going to be changed. There's one already changed, one on the way changed, and one that's going to, come on church, going to be changed in the air. Now that's some theology and you're like, you're like schmuckers. Schmick and schmack, I don't care. But this is why we struggle because we're pretty, we're pretty conscious of that other part. And so were the Galatians. So what Paul was mapping out here it's how that sanctification process works in the soul and how God is working it out over time. And I'm going to give you some of this here this morning so that we understand why we struggle with this. We struggle with this because even though we're born again, we still fail. We still fall. And we still struggle. The presence of the Holy Spirit doesn't remove the inner war. It actually creates it. It's why you're fighting. In fact, can I just encourage you? If you are fighting against sin, awesome. So here's the big question, and I've asked God this. God, why don't you just do it all right now? Can't you just do it all right now? Make every part of me just like my spirit and just like you, right? Can I just tell you something? You'd have to be dead. There's a part of you that's going to die. And in fact, I'm saying it wrongly this morning. There's a part of you that is dead, but doesn't want to remain, doesn't want to remain dead. And if you don't see it as dead, you're going to have some problems. Because the devil wants to re-identify who you think you are in Christ. There's a big difference between somebody who's dying and somebody that's dead. One amen? Okay, think about a drowning person. A drowning person isn't dead yet, but they're dying. And you swim out there, and you're going to try to save this person. Somebody that isn't dying, right, or is dying, but isn't dead yet, is going to grab a hold of and struggle and hold on to whatever it can just to stay alive. If you think that carnal nature and that old man is just something that you need to still put to death, it's going to drag you and everybody else down underneath the water with it. What Paul teaches us is we are already dead with Christ. Or in Romans, we are crucified with Christ. It's not dying. It's dead. So if you don't see that part of you as dead... You'll think, I gotta do something about that. I gotta, I gotta kill that flesh. I gotta deal with that flesh. And God's saying, it's dead already. Why are you trying? You're, you're trying to kill a dead man. You're trying to shoot a dead horse. Come on. It's already dead. Yeah. Amen. Man, I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I, man, I, I, I just think we gotta get this in our spirit that how we identify with what the scriptures say about us is everything. So. God doesn't make us perfect when he first saves us because he knows there's something in the struggle. There's something, say it with me, there's something in the struggle. And the struggle isn't to see how much stronger you and your own strength can get in defeating your flaws and your falling. 
The struggle teaches you how to become more and more reliant upon the Spirit of God. Okay, I'm going there. I'm going there. And this is going to sound so frilly and foofy. But sometimes I just got to go there. If, if, if you notice caterpillars before they become butterflies, they are ugly. I can't come up with an example that will work for this church. I try, I try and I try. I try. I've tried for years, man. <laughs> Put it under a microscope. That thing is dog ugly. It's got, it's got these weird looking face and, you know, hair all over the place. Kind of looks like your pastor. All right. So it's ugly. It's got all these legs. It's spinning some stuff that you love as silk. But here's the deal before. Yeah, it's just gross and ugly, right? Then it goes into a chrysalis. And it's in a, what they call pupa. And for about four to five weeks, it struggles. While it's in there, it just writhes and struggles. And before it's transformed, or the word we want to use here is metamorphized, before the metamorphosis actually occurs, and that's an important Greek word, because transformation, the Greek word is metamorphize, metamorpho. Right? So we get to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it says, it says this. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. mind. Then you'll be able to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That little worm struggles inside of that chrysalis and then when the chrysalis opens up the struggling isn't what changes it the change is already coming from the inside out but the struggle allows the blood to flow more and it pushes all of that new dna out to every part of its being so as it struggles it's changed the changing doesn't come from the struggling. The changing comes from its DNA. It's already in it. It's inside. And that transforms it into a butterfly. And then in some parts of the world, it lives for about a week and dies. Isn't that a pleasant thought? Yeah. Other parts, it lives much longer. God doesn't want you to mess with the metamorphosis. If a little boy come up to the cocoon and ripped it open i want to help the butterfly you kill it the struggle is part of the secret ingredient of god this is why god doesn't transform every part of you right away in the meantime you struggle and in the struggling you learn to depend on his spirit Amen. i'm going to tell you this is the best message i've ever preached in my life i say that with boldness some of you are struggling in secret sin and you need to hear this I'll go a little bit farther, you know. Now, this would work if, this, this idea would work pre-Thanksgiving, but let's hear the booze on this one, okay? Now, we go outside, and the trees don't have any leaves on them, okay? All right? But before Thanksgiving, it was beautiful, right? We go on what we call, where we're from, color drives. See all the beautiful colors? to see all the, the beautiful things that are in the trees, the different leaves, the different colors. Those colors are already in those leaves. They're hiding behind the chlorophyll, the green. When the sunlight becomes less and less, the chlorophyll diminishes it and it retreats. The flesh, when it... <laughs> the flesh in the struggle is going to retreat. You're going to depend more and more on the Spirit of God and less and less on self-effort. Then the beauty of what it means to walk with Christ and the beautiful oranges and the colors come out of your life. This is the gospel. It's walking with Jesus and His Spirit, not trying to be perfect, but walking with someone who already is. 
And being conscious of that walk and being close to that guide is what will metamorphize your life. Let me, let, let me just say two more things and I'll end. I, I, I got a lot more, but I got a lot of more, but let me just say two more things. Um, so there's, there's something about you that is dead. Not dying, dead. And you need to stop thinking in your mind that needs to be renewed that it's alive. Because if it's alive, you'll give it all kinds of stuff. You need, to, you need to decide right here that that's dead. That's not me. I'm de- that's dead. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Are you a believer? You were on that cross with him. A part of you has died with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. That is the correct position that you should be identifying yourself with. We're in an age right now where everybody's identifying themselves. Wrong. Wrong. The only identity I have is Jesus Christ. That old identity was crucified. Come on, church. Romans 6, 11. Likewise, you also reckon. Reckon. You also reckon yourselves to be dead, indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, this reckon here isn't like the southern reckon. You know, well, I reckon it's going to rain. You know, the idea, I, I can see it's going to, yeah, I, I can see it's going to rain. No, that's different. Uh, logizomai is the Greek word for reckon here. It is an accounting word. It is what you do when you decide that this is no longer a liability, but it's an asset. You move it from one column to the other. And what is Paul saying here in Romans? I want to read it again. Likewise, you also should move from one category to the other. Reckon yourselves to be dead. So there's a part of you you think is alive. You think is, you, there's a part of you you think is winning. There's a part of you that's telling you that you're not saved because it's still there. And Paul is saying, move that from this category of dying to this category of dead. Already dead. Move it to the right category. Understand it correctly. It's like that, it's like that wild card in Uno. You, you know you just you know you got everybody else. Because it's draw four and it's go out and reverse. And everybody's gonna draw four. And then there's that one person that goes shabang and lays down that wild card and calls out blue instead of red. And guess what just happened? Whole game changed. The game changer of walking in righteousness is understanding that there's a part of you that you reckon as already dead. Okay? The flesh, though, doesn't want you to believe that. The flesh wants to tell you it's still alive, and the flesh wants to tell you that it seeks to practice some things. Say the word practice, please. We're going we're gonna to see what that means in close. In Galatians 5.19, Paul talks about practicing. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions. Do you see that contentious, being contentious is right there with sorcery? (laughs) Do you see, next one, jealousy. Do you see that jealousy is right there with fornication? Do you, do you see selfish ambition is, is right there with adultery? Oh, okay, I was just checking, okay? Just checking. Um, dissensions, heresies, envy. Do you see that envy is right there with murder? Murder's the next one. Drunkenness, reveries, of the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in times past, listen to this. Those who, now I taught you a word, practice, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. People that are practicing those things do not go to heaven. Now, I'm okay with some of them because I've never committed murder. Not even a temptation for me. Um, Gold star star there, yeah. (laughs) I'm not doing drunkenness. Uh, Ooh, selfish ambition. 
Mm. Outbursts of wrath. Oh, that's happened. Envy. Wow. Um, fornication. I'm too old for that. Um, I think I'll pass on a few of these. But a few of these other ones are going to take me straight to hell. I'm scared now. I don't need a spirit of fear, but I read that verse and I go, I can't go to heaven if these things are in my life. I want to take you back to a word, and this ain't greasy grace. I'm going to help you with it. It's balance. Those who practice such things. Those who practice such things. Now, Matthew 7, 21, Jesus does the same thing. He says uh, to people who have cast out demons, healed people, preached the gospel even. And then they appeared before Jesus, and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. Scary stuff, scary stuff. But that's not all he says. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, or iniquity okay when you come to know God and you're born again and you receive the Spirit of God I want you to see something here there is a change that happens in your life but it does not remove the potential for sin has anybody sinned since they got saved if you're not willing to say yes to that you're an even bigger sinner than when you first came in here. You are. You're not telling yourself or God the truth. But if you're practicing sin, that's different. So we need to know what that means. Now, for guys, I know what this means to practice something as a guy. There for a while, I wanted to be, uh, I thought I was going to be a basketball star. Okay, I'm still five-something. Never worked out, but I practiced a lot of basketball. I spent most of my time learning how to do more and more basketball. And then there was a period in my life where um, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be a musician, and uh, that didn't work out at all. Um, and so I practiced various instruments over and over again, daily. That was where my, that's where my life, I was conscious of wanting to play instruments. I was conscious of wanting to do that more and more and more. Okay? And then, and, and, and then when we, we, we got children, I, I started growing up a little bit, and I thought, well, now wait a minute, I need to, what does it take to be a father? And what does it take to, and then a pastor, what does it take to be a pastor? And I started, I started practicing different things. Some people, they, they get saved, and then instead of, walking with Jesus and practicing more of what they see the guy doing and remaining with the guy, they walk right over here and they say, even with this wonderful gift of salvation, and they continue to practice sin. And then wonder why they fall away from God. And then wonder why they no longer serve God. I, I can tell you why. They practiced sin and not righteousness. Yeah, I want you to see that in this scripture, it does not say, Paul does not say those who struggle or those who fall. Paul says those who practice. Now, let me just tell you something. If you have a reoccurring sin in your life and it's happening over and over again and you're not dealing with it and you're not relying upon the Holy Spirit to give you power over it, you are practicing sin. Boy, you won't hear that in church anymore. Jesus may say to you, you pastored for 35 years, but I never knew you, Glenn. You know? Because you practiced sin. You weren't, you weren't relying and trusting on my spirit to fight it. You aren't even fighting it anymore. You just say, well, that's just my nature because my flesh won't die. Your flesh is dead already. Okay. Let me go a little bit farther. We're almost done. 1 John 2, 29. Everyone who practices righteousness... oh. I can practice something else. Everyone that practices righteousness is born of God. 1 John 3, 9. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. They can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. Don't let that word practice confuse you. 
It's all about what you're doing in your life that occupies your mind and your time. We need to see that there are occasional moments where we fail. We need to see there are occasional moments where we struggle. There, a righteous man does fall seven times, but the end of that scripture says, but he gets up. How does he get up? The same way Jesus got up. The resurrection power of God causes us to get up and walk away. Now, next week, I'm going to take you into how your mind has to be renewed by the scripture so that you can see yourself as a saint, not a sinner. You are a saint of God. Why? Because you're sanctified by God. Hello? And there's a part of you that's dead. So you shouldn't act or live like it's alive. Right? Anybody ever see Weekend at Bernie's? That's a ridiculous movie, man. That's it. I, do I really want to end with Weekend at Bernie's? Just, this guy, it just popped into my head, okay? But Weekend at Bernie's, they get this, they're staying at this guy's house, and he's dead. And they got to fool everybody else to think he's still alive. So they go out and they take Bernie, and Bernie's as dead as dead is. Yeah. And they take him, uh, they take him uh, out on uh, skis, the water skiing, and Bernie's hitting all of the bells. And, oh, it's, it's horrible, you know? That's how Christians live. Yeah. You're dragging around this dead person. Do you know that that's the way they used to, Romans used to treat murderers? Romans used to treat murderers as they take the person that they murdered and they chain them to that person. That person's dead, and so the infection of the death of that person comes onto the person that murdered them. Oh, wow. And God says, you know what? I want you to see this part of your life is dead. Yes. It's not alive. You're dead to sin. And once you begin to see that, and we'll talk about it next week, once you begin to see that, you begin to see yourself a different way. You see, it's beyond behavior modification. Behavior modification won't do it. You have to have a renewed mind in what the Scripture says you are. I'll tell you a story about this guy. He's not a true guy. Some of you hear my stories, and you're like, Pastor, you kind of lied because that's not a true story. Sometimes I'm just telling stories, that, okay? But i got to preempt it because some of you will be like, was that real? No. There was this man. He had a problem with his diet. He loved the taste of dog food. He just, it would overcome him. He'd be in Walmart. He'd go past the dog food aisle and he'd say to himself, I won't look. I won't look. I just, okay, I'll look. There it is. And he'd run up to the largest bag of dog food he could find. He'd tear it open. It comes spilling all over the aisle at Walmart. And he'd just go, hum, 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 hum. And then when people would come by, he'd bark and he'd howl. And they'd come near him and he'd lay on his back and say, scratch my belly. This man goes to a dietitian. He says, please help me with my situation. I need a new diet. I have to change me because I'm embarrassing myself and I've been arrested several times for what I do in Walmart. I need to change. And the dietitian goes, well, tell me what you do. And he says, well, I, can't. I go by the dog food aisle. I got to tear it open, rip it open. I got to eat it. As a man returneth to his vomit, so shall a man return to his iniquity. He says, well, you know, how long has this been going on in your life? And he says, you know what, ever since I was a pup. And the nutritionist said, dietitian said, you're not a pup. I'm not? Well, I've had this nature in me my entire life. See, behavior modification says, stop it. Don't do that. Do something else. That's like half right. Let me tell you what is all right, all right. When you no longer see yourself as a dog at all, when you see yourself in Christ, now it's not, can I sin? Now it's, I don't want to sin. It's dog food. 
duh. I don't want to do it anymore. And then it goes one step further. If you even come near it and sample that dog food a little bit, there's a new nature in you that says, that is honking gross. I don't ever want to do that again. If I'm that hungry, I could get my wife to make me something much better than dog food, or I could call it pastor. We'll go out to eat together. I'll pay the bill, but... (laughs) See, there's a part of you now that says, I don't enjoy that anymore. See, when I quit smoking years ago, when I quit smoking, and some of you are like, was that before Jesus or after? Nunya. Well, when I quit smoking years ago, I tried peppermint, I tried toothpicks, I tried everything, you know, everything, everything. everything. All right. Then one day I just said, God, I don't want to enjoy it anymore. He put a new spirit in me and I just didn't enjoy it. The smell, I did nothing about it. Do, do you hear what I'm talking about? This is how we are changed and transformed. A new heart and a new spirit is put inside of us. And we're afraid to pray that prayer because we do love the taste. But God can remove the love for the taste. Would you stand?